Hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, it is my pleasure to be chatting with Sharon Bornholt, all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. How are you doing today, Sharon? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you very much. So, Sharon, let's dive right into it and tell us just a big picture overview. What is your specialty when it comes to real estate investing? Over the years, I've been investing since 1998, and I started out in one way. You know, I started out as a buy and hold realtor and a rehabber. So I would, my plan was to rehab some houses and rehab a house and then take that money and buy a rental. And I worked that plan really till 2008. So I worked part-time for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, two things happened. I closed the other business. And of course, that's when the recession hit in my area. And that was when I became an accidental wholesaler. Ah. because people, I was very good at marketing and I could source deals all day long. But if you remember that time, the end buyers couldn't get a mortgage. And so that was kind of left the rehabbers hanging. You know, they had to hold on to their properties for a long time. So I've done a mix of things over the years. And what's your main focus these days, Sharon? I still, I never intended to be a wholesaler. I'm still a wholesaler, but I'm big into the education side of, of the business with my blog and my podcast and my course and all the other things that I do. Okay. So what was it that sparked your interest in real estate investing in the first place? Well, it, the other business that I had was a home inspection business. So you probably know all about that. You do a lot of work with realtors and I knew a lot of realtors and that was the only way that I knew you did real estate. Hmm. was if you were a realtor. And one of my realtor friends said, hey, do you want to go to a REA meeting? And I said something like, what's a REA meeting? And so I went to the meeting and it was as if the doors to the heavens had been opened up. I saw this whole world of real estate where you didn't have to, you could be an agent, but you didn't have to be an agent. And that was in 1998. And I've pretty much gone since 1998 to those meetings. Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So you heard the angels singing. (laughs) I saw a vision. (laughs) Okay. So you did real estate part-time. Were you still doing the property inspection business at the same time? I did that for for 10 years. So I had the property inspection business all in for 17 years. So Way back in 1991, when it actually home inspections were just getting to be a thing, we had that business. And it was around 2008 when I started investing. So for another 10 years, I did both and then went full-time in 2008. So you jumped into full-time in 2008. And that's really when the you-know-what hit the fan mm-hmm. in the States with the, the Great Recession. So how did you make a go of it to, at that time? Because you had to switch gears completely. I had to switch gears completely, but my strength was marketing and I had a network of 10 years. Now, I wouldn't recommend that somebody that was brand new start that way. But for me, it was the perfect example at a time when I could just keep on cranking out the leads. And I had, I was lucky. I had some buyers on my list that were really active investors, but they had W-2 jobs. They worked for big corporations so they could still get money. And one thing I learned from them at that time was that I had to change my buying criteria. So deals that were great deals that were great retail deals were not necessarily great buy and hold deals because they simply wouldn't cash flow. So my buyers educated me on buying a little bit different type of house. So I had to add one thing into the metrics. And that was if 
they can't solve this house, will it cash flow? And that answer always had to be yes. So yeah, focusing on cash flow for mm-hmm. sure. So now you've, you've been doing, you've been investing in real estate for many, many years. You've done mm-hmm. a variety of different strategies. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you're focusing on training people as well. What are some of the bigger mistakes you see real estate investors making, especially newbies? Well, if I were to start all over again, there are several things that I would do differently. One is I would have certainly been more aggressive all those years I worked part-time because I had a very demanding business. I don't know if you were, were you in the business at that time? It was kind of the wild west with the home inspection business because realtors would go, you don't want a home inspection, do you? It's going to be $250. It was, it was still very much buyer beware. So I was very engrossed in that business and I took it a little bit slower when I got started. So I regret that because you need to just dive in and get up to speed pretty much. So that's one thing. The second thing that was a huge mistake that I made and that was in building my brand. And I see people make that same mistake today. They think, well, I've only done a few deals. You know, I can work on that later. It's not important. But that's not the case. You need to be working on building your brand from day one so that when you're ready to step into your brand, it's it's already there. So that was a big thing. And the last thing is I would have outsourced sooner. I think most people tend to stay a one-man or a two-man show for way too long. And if I had one piece of advice for people is the thing you absolutely have to get done is your marketing because nothing else matters. If you don't have leads coming in the door, you don't have anything to learn to negotiate. You don't have, you don't need a buyer's list because you don't have deals. So you have to get the leads coming in the door. And if you outsource that and do it faster, you can make more money faster. Mm. Okay. Very good. So that's something I'd like to dive in. Well, all three I'd love to dive into, but right now, for the time that we have, let's talk a little bit about branding when it comes to us as real estate investors or real estate entrepreneurs. First of all, what does that even mean to you? What does branding mean to you? Well, branding means to me that it's getting your name out. So I like to tell people marketing is how you get leads and branding is why they choose you. If you don't build your persona, build your brand online, build your brand at your RIA, somebody's going to do it for you. They're going to be saying, well, that Dave guy, and then it's going to be their opinion. of you. So with the online world today, we have the unique opportunity to be seen as experts. Now you have to know your stuff. There's no doubt about that. But you can, whether it's through a blog or a podcast, which we do, or a YouTube channel, you can actively show people that this is what you do. This is my area of expertise. And you don't have to wait till they somebody kind of figures it out. So you can be very proactive. That's what I mean by brand. So if if I walk into my RIA meeting, they know that I'm sharing. I'm I'm an investor, but I'm a podcaster. I'm a blogger, and I do these things, and that I'm genuine. So it, it goes back to the whole know, like, and trust thing. And with the internet, you have an opportunity that certainly we didn't have when I started out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So Sharon, if Somebody saying, hey, you know what, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for people as far as baby steps or first steps towards enhancing or creating their brand? Well, I would say to kind of take an inventory. So 
it's not unusual for people to start out doing deals and they have no online presence. For me and for most of the real estate investors, I know Facebook is a powerful place if you use it correctly. For people like you, you probably, you have LinkedIn would be a good fit for you. For the average rehabber, LinkedIn is not such a great fit. So I think you need to figure out where you fit. And video, people love video. So if you're a rehabber, you're probably thinking, I'm not writing any, any blog posts. Well, that's okay. But you can do video and showcase your walkthroughs on your houses. You can do before and afters. You can say, here's how you install a sink. There's just a million things you can do. So you don't necessarily have to do what we do, which is podcast and blog, but you need to start to build an online presence because here's what I like to tell people the way it used to be. You would send out a marketing piece and based on your marketing piece, people would call you or not. Now there's a step in the middle. They get your marketing piece. The next thing they do is they look you up online. They want to know, is Dave a genuine? What? He doesn't have a website? Oh, no. He must be. I had a, an older guy tell me recently, I chose you because the other guy, he must be a huckster. That's what's the word he used because he didn't have a website. It's so true. It's, it's so true. It's yeah. true. So you need a website. That's my first thing. You need a website. Yeah. Okay. Now, because this is this is something that I struggle with communicating to people as well as I'd like. And that is the power of video. Mm -hmm. And I always suggest, you know what? Video is the next best thing to being there face to face with somebody. But people, you know what? I, I find that people are so hesitant to get into, into video. They go, Dave, you know what? It's easy for you because you're so damn good looking. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got such a great <laughs> sense of humor so much charisma and your modesty just oozes from you. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for you, Dave. <laughs> so what is, when you get students or people saying, Sharon, you know what? I, I just really don't want to do video. How do you educate them about the power of video? Well, I tell them, you know, there is no faster way for you to become known in your industry than through video. And it, people, if they read something about you, let's take, my blog, if I write an article, they might be that scraped, but that doesn't really tell me who she is. But if I make a video, and, I, and I'm a firm believer in that you start where you are and you love the love. So you can make great videos with your, with your iPhone. You can say, hi, I'm Sharon. You know, I've been, this is what I do. You know, I'm, I'm a mom. I have a one grandchild. You tell them a tiny little bit about your personal life so they know you're a real person, but I'm an expert at this. You can do that. You can put that on your website and people will go, well, he seems like a normal person. He seems or she seems to be okay. So there's great power in building the know, like, and trust factor. Remember that marketing is how you get leads and branding is why they choose you. So with video, I tell them to step into it. And I also tell them there's nobody that hates doing video more than me. I do it all the time, but it's like, oh my gosh, what? I'm not 20 anymore. So it's hard. I don't care who you are or how old you are or how engaging you are like Dave. You are, you're never really, I don't think, 100% satisfied with the way you look. For women, it's, oh, I'm having a bad hair day or whatever. But at I'm the end of the day, a bad hair decade, Sharon. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll get that one. So, the, uh, but people, 
the one piece of advice I would say is that people are not nearly so concerned with the way you look as you are concerned with the way you look. They're more concerned with the information and the transformation that you can provide them. So if you can tell them how to transform their business, whether it's through raising private money or upping your marketing game, or I can show you how to get leads, uh, never ending source of leads through probate investing. If you can show them really what you can offer them that will grow their business, I think that's the key. And for somebody that's looking for leads, it just gives you more credibility if you've got a video presence out there. Very, very well said. And and the bottom line is, because I I find a lot of people put this on pause or procrastinate about it saying, you know what, I got to get set up with the right equipment, Mm -hmm. have a green screen and cool stuff in the background, all this crap. Like, mm-hmm. Quite frankly, or you know what, I'm, I'm shy, I'm not a good public speaker, yada, yada, whatever it is. Bottom line is, you don't need any of that stuff. And in fact, I think it works against you if you look too slick. Yeah. It's better to come across as a genuine person. Would you agree? I would agree completely. If some people's webcam on their computer is good enough to make, just sit in front of your computer and make a video. Mine has not been in my last few computers. I have a Logitech camera that does a a much better job. I do think sound is important. You can get a mic fairly cheaply. Sound is important, but you don't need a lot of equipment. You don't need a lot of money. If you're using your smartphone, you can get a clip-on mic. If you're trying to make videos outside, don't make the mistake of thinking you're going to hold your phone out here and it's going to pick up the sound. But you can buy for 10 bucks a little lavalier mic with you can either do Bluetooth or you can do a clip on one with a cord and you can have great sounds. You can use your phone. You can walk through the house and show, hey, look at this really ugly house. There are just, I would say the biggest thing is just to do it. So I always tell people about my first 15 minute video. I was asked by someone to make a teaching video, 10, 15 minutes on a topic. And I said, Sure. And they said, well, how long did it take you? And I said, two days (laughs) because I did it over and over and over till I got so exhausted. I finally said, I don't care anymore. Also, when you're doing video, another tip is batch your videos. The first one is hard. The second one is less hard. Pick out 10 topics and sit down in front of your camera, in front of your computer and just knock out 10 or 15 tips for people. You will be over it by then. You will. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent advice, Sharon. So you touched on something. We've just got a couple of minutes here before I have to wrap up, but it seems like your your main focus these days is wholesaling, especially especially probate. Probate. Um, So explain to us what exactly does that mean? If somebody's not even familiar with what probate deals are, what are they? Well, probate deals, this is when someone passes away and they there's a house in the estate. People are under the impression that somehow the heirs just get everything. But that's not the way it works in the U.S. In, in most places, there's a process. You know, you have to open the, open the estate and then there's a process it goes through. But there's a stage in there when you can buy the property. And in my area, it's just as simple as writing a contract. And sadly you will never run out of leads because every month there is a new group of leads in my area, somewhere between 60 and 80 after I've scrubbed them out for these are too expensive or these are really in war zones. You don't want those. And it's amazing the people that don't put their property, they don't do estate planning, but 
this is a wide open field for investors. And what you need to understand is that in almost every single case, they must sell the property to settle the estate. Mm -hmm. So they have to liquidate the assets before the heirs can inherit what is theirs. So it's not a thing if you wait till after the estate is closed, which is a common misconception. In order to for the estate to be closed, they must liquidate any property in the estate that's not been directly willed. Now, in the case of a husband and a wife, they'll have it, they'll have that all taken care of through the deed or through, you know, planning. But they're sadly, you will never run out of leads. They're very motivated sellers and realtors out there that might be listening to this. You're totally missing the boat because investors are getting the deals. The distressed properties, just like always, that mix of what goes on the MLS and what you know what is sold to investors. But stop and think about this for a minute. If you are an agent or an agent investor, what if you could get all those leads before they ever made it to the MLS? Exactly. And investors, it's huge. It's huge. The whole probate investing field. Interesting. And unfortunately, Sharon, we're running out of time. So. If people would like to find out more about you and what you do and perhaps a little bit about probate investing, what should they do? They should come over to my blog, the Louisville Gals Real Estate blog, or if you want to know specifically about probate investing, although I talk about it a ton over on the blog and it links off to any videos or podcasts that I have, they can check out probateinvestingsimplified.com and that's my course. Uh, that's a good title. Very good. Sharon, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a lot of fun. I'll definitely have to have you on the podcast again because you're a marketer. I'm a marketer. I love marketing mm -hmm. stuff, especially when it comes to, to real estate investing. We just kind of scratched the surface there. I so know. I'd love to continue that conversation. Thank I would you. love to. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits Podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. We very, very much appreciate it. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at Investor Attraction Demo. Dot com. Take care.